Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the E-Commerce Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce, and this is a special episode <laughs> for all of you Amazon sellers out there. This episode will probably both strike terror into your heart, potentially give you nightmares, but it will also bring peace and comfort and give you hope uh, in the midst of the storm. And so today we're talking about uh, listing takedowns and suspensions on Amazon, both how to avoid them and or mitigate them, and then how to get things back up and going when you do face either a listing takedown or a suspension. This episode of the E-Commerce Evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce Resources. That's right. Here at OMG Commerce, we want to help make sure you're educated and in the know to capitalize on the latest tips, tricks, and strategies to help you grow your e-commerce business. So if you go to omgcommerce.com and under resources, click on guides, we have some cutting edge free information for you on things like how to dominate with Amazon DSP ads or how to use Amazon sponsor brand video ads and how to craft the perfect ad. We have several guides on how to capitalize on YouTube ads from creating the perfect ad to knowing when you're ready to scale. Plus there's the newly updated Google shopping guide plus more. Check it all out at omgcommerce.com and click on guides under resources. And now, back to the show. My guest today is an absolute expert in this category. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone with more experience on this topic. I have joining me today Chris McCabe. He's the founder of E-Commerce Chris. I want to hear how you got the nickname E-Commerce Chris. It's an awesome nickname and the name of his company. Uh, he was a former policy enforcement team member at Amazon. So the stuff we're talking about today, he did at Amazon back in the day. So I want to hear maybe a, a couple of good Amazon stories while we're <laughs> at it. And so with that, Chris, welcome to the show. How you doing? And thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's an excellent introduction. Good, loved it. good man. I yeah, loved it. I really appreciate this. I've heard good things about you. I think your your nickname slash company name alone mm -hmm. is a good reason to have you on the the podcast, e commerce, Chris. I mean, you just got to you got to go there. Uh, but if you would talk a little bit about what was your experience like at Amazon? When were you there? And just in general, like what, what did you do, and what was that like? Right, so I worked on the so-called seller performance teams, the performance eval, evaluation and policy enforcement teams. So kind of what you said about the nightmares um, that sellers might fear after this episode, I'm kind of numb to those nightmares. I went through <laughs> six years on the Amazon side of it. I've been doing this for six years, so about 12 years total um, at this point of day-to-day, -day, you know, hour in, hour out of how do I appeal this suspension, right? That's what everyone's sellers all these sellers are afraid of. So when I worked at Amazon, yes, we were reviewing accounts all the time, every hour, sending warnings, deleting listings, um, sometimes canceling all their listings if they hadn't been you know, properly put together, broke rules, and of course, suspending accounts. Um, the flip side of suspending accounts was we got to reinstate them if we found that they had submitted an acceptable appeal that hit all the right points. Um, and addressed whatever shortcomings we had previously identified. So that was the day-to-day -day of the job um, in terms of interacting with other Amazon employees and managers. I mean, Amazon's just uh, a heavy-duty place to work. <laughs> there are high expectations. They want you to be quick. They want you to be smart. They want you to be good. Um, and you have to perform just the way sellers are evaluated with performance metrics. So were we. And if your numbers wavered, then you'd have a little sit down. Um, I ended up getting promoted and mentoring others because my numbers were good and my accuracy was good. I mean, that's kind of the shorthand version of why I excelled in my position. Towards the end of my time at Amazon, I kind of got what you've maybe you know heard from other books and articles about Amazon, Amazonians getting burned out a little bit. Um, but I think by the end, I kind of already had a sense that I wanted to do this for a living and not not stay in Seattle, but also not stay working for Amazon. I wanted to help sellers uh, from the other side of the fence. So That's awesome. I mean, the yeah. pace, I was used to it, but years and years of that pace does grind you down. I mean, that's a fact. 
Could totally see that. All right, well, I want to unpack a few things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Chris, tell me about the grind because, you know, I hear stories all the time. I know several former Amazonians. You know, I've heard the Jeff Bezos quote that, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you can work long, smart, or hard, but at Amazon, you can't choose two out of three. You know, he's going right. to all three. Yeah. And so what was the grind like? And Amazon's a company where... Um, you're supposed to feel honored and privileged to work there too. So they don't give you a lot of freebies or free meals or they don't coddle you. Um, and, you know, people know about the Google cafeteria and working at Facebook and all these perks. And Yeah, dude, I've been to several uh, Google campuses yeah. and it's it's like a playground. And yeah. they, they expect their people to work hard too, but they really oh, of take care of, they take care yeah. of their people unbelievably well. The food yeah. is just fantastic. Yeah, Amazon is more a workplace where it's, Believing in their mission, being excited with their goals, which is kind of taking over retail, right? Let's be honest. What are they trying to do here? Totally. It's not just about e-commerce. They've already done that. Yep. Um, you, you're there to put your brains to work. You're happy to be there. Um, their attitude towards a lot of employees is kind of, if you don't like it, leave. Yeah. So you're not coddled. Um, there's good parts about working there. I mean, I wouldn't have stayed there as many years as I had without, you know, enjoying most of it. But um, it's not a place where dissent is really tolerated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, they don't reflect that in their core principles when they say, like, you know, be, be open to disagreement and discussion. I never found that to be the case. Um, it was oh, really? kind of so a they top-down were, they were hierarchy. Open to disagreement. Yeah. So and that and that's so interesting. So we're actually as as a company at OMG, mm-hmm. we're we're going through some of the Amazon leadership principles, like the, mm-hmm. the fourteen core leadership principles, and and they're fantastic. But that's really interesting that they don't. Right. So they preach dissent and disagreement, but they don't necessarily welcome that from everybody. Well, you have to be open to being wrong. If somebody kind of disagrees with you but proves you wrong with either data or experience or examples, then I think you have to be willing to admit that you misjudge something, maybe not made a complete and total mistake. Um, but I didn't get that sense from manager or above types. They seem to say, like, we're being measured on these very strict goals. We have to meet them. We've decided how you're going to help us meet them, and that's kind of the end of it. Got it. Got so it. a lot of stuff just started not making sense, like towards the end of my tenure there, uh, especially my last year at Amazon. I was being asked to do things that made no sense. And, you know, not only does it kind of kill your morale, um, but it, it makes it hard for you to do your job if you don't even believe that what you're doing is accurate or useful yeah, yeah. or necessary, you know? If it's just like, uh, I don't know what an example would be, somebody who's just kind of asked to push paperwork around, but they're not really doing anything with their day. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, the old-fashioned kind of corporate people who are numb to that. Um, so, And there's just so much room for improvement with what Amazon's doing. As, as much ass as they're kicking right now in terms of e-commerce and the growth of the marketplace, um, there's so much they could be doing better with sellers in particular. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure there are a lot of sellers listening right now that are giving you a virtual fist bump. and an, Yay! Chris, that, that Amazon <laughs> could be treating their sellers way better, and I'm sure yeah. that is yeah. true. I know that's true. And, and yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you can handle long hours and, and you can handle the grind and you can handle the pressure and the expectations if you agree with what you're doing and you feel like you're serving a purpose, but then when there's incongruency or being asked to do things that don't really line up or make sense, I could totally get how that would mm-hmm. fuel the burnout, speed it up, and just make you, if you are yeah. thinking about doing something else anyway, that's going to likely speed up your your time horizon and, and make you want to exit. Yeah, Amazon's, Amazon's expecting you to consider your job the number one thing in your life. Yeah. Um, so that you can have a family, you can have other things in your life, but you have to be able to juggle them all or balance them all like that's on you. Right. They don't consider right. it their role to make that juggling act easier on you. Like yeah, that's up to yeah, you to figure out. That's what I've heard from so so many. I mean, it's uh, fairly yeah. consistent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so then uh, where did the nickname e-commerce Chris come, come from? Uh, do you remember the actual story? Obviously, it makes sense. You're an e-commerce yeah. Chris, all that. I didn't, I didn't want to have Amazon in my company name. <laughs> Just Good. a basic, yeah. uh, basic <laughs> legal angle there. But beyond that, I wasn't, when, I, when I first started, I wasn't planning on only doing Amazon. And for the last six and a half years, I have only done Amazon. Yeah. That wasn't my original intention. So I didn't want to be Amazon-centric. I wanted to be e-commerce Maybe even I would learn about some of these other marketplaces. Um, 
you know, I was kind of researching Etsy and handmade and stuff like that, uh, just to educate myself on other kinds of sellers that I wasn't maybe used to dealing with. But then as soon as I updated my LinkedIn profile and said what I did at Amazon, the floodgates opened and I just had all these Amazon sellers constantly asking me for help. Yep. Um, totally makes sense. Two, two million yeah. Amazon sellers and growing and, and the problem you address is a growing problem. It's real, it's painful. And so, yeah, I think you've got all kinds of room to, to grow and expand just doing and, what you're doing. And I didn't even know that really at the time. I mean, I knew the marketplace was growing. I knew some of the basics. When I left Amazon, it took, you know, a year off to travel, probably over a year. And when I came back, I wasn't 100% sure what the state of the marketplace was or how they were dealing with sellers. I had to go through some of the messaging that sellers had, which back in you know 2014, the messages were much higher quality. They weren't great. That was one reason I left. I didn't think Amazon could communicate with sellers anymore, but they're much, they were much better than they are today. Hmm. So I didn't really know that until I started helping sellers with Q&A and writing appeals and would it be reviewed properly on the inside? I wasn't sure until I tried it really. Yeah, so I want to get into some specific tips and tactics mm-hmm. and things to avoid. And I think this is going to be an extremely helpful podcast for people. But do you think part of the problem, part of the reason why Amazon doesn't com- communicate well with sellers is just is just the growth is too fast and they're not they're not able to cope with it? Or, mm-hmm. or is there something else there that's causing this? Um, more specifically, I think they're having trouble marrying their automation to human investigation. Got their it. machine learning hasn't caught up to all the things that are going on. There's a lot of, you know abuse of their tools, of their algorithms. A lot of people gaming the system. I don't think their machine learning's caught up really, whether it's reviews abuse, something like that, or or yeah, buyers. It's such a huge problem. I know, I know yeah. people with legitimate yeah. reviews that are getting dinged. Yeah. You see some listings and, and you just you just know that, it, that mm-hmm. it's been manipulated and it's yeah. not they're not real reviews. They're still catching up. I mean they're they're finally adding more headcount. The reviews abuse team is a good example, PRA. Product reviews abuse has, by some measures, tripled their headcount. I mean, they finally added more people, but it, it's not syncing up enough with their automation to make it meaningful. So they're still struggling with standard operating procedures, different systems and processes that they're trying to put in place to make the scalability of the work more you know, within their grasp, and they just haven't gotten there yet. Unfortunately, I think people who are looking to abuse the system or, um, you know, cheat their competitors out of some revenue are aware that Amazon's way behind on some of this stuff. And so they're manipulating things to their own ends. And, um, and it's unfortunately creating not just bad seller experiences, but I don't know if the wider public understands that this creates more negative buyer experiences. And it totally does. You mentioned Jeff. I mean, Jeff's number one goal with creating Amazon was to create the best online buying experience. Yeah, the most customer-centric company on the planet. Most customer-centric, but no one's really connected the dots to how negatively impacting uh, buyer experience, some of these tricks and, you know, um, gaming the system and and some of these fake-out moves that sellers are doing are hurting buyers too. Yeah, and and it just makes you question your next Amazon experience too. If you do get duped, you buy a product that's not as great as the reviews say it is or doesn't really live up to the description and things like that. Right. It really questions your next Amazon purchase. So so obviously I, Amazon has identified it as a problem, but they're mm-hmm. just the, the the AI and the human efforts just, just are not in, in alignment yet. Hopefully they'll be able to fix that soon. Maybe this is Andy Jassy's big move when he comes in this summer. He's going to figure out how to take machine learning and yeah. combine it with uh, human account reviews, manual investigations, and make them... Ten times more effective. That's what we're that and appearing right? before the Senate, right? Like he's got he's got to be, uh, yeah, the antitrust stuff. But but yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really good point. Andy Jassy, you know, the, he was the head of AWS. Potentially, no better person to be running Amazon to 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 work on some of the AI problems and automation problems. Right. So yeah. so super interesting. Okay, well let's dive in here. So we're gonna talk about listing takedowns. We're gonna talk about mm-hmm. suspensions. The two are related, right? First comes the listing takedown. You get enough of those, eventually, yeah. then the suspension happens. So what are what are some of the common causes of a listing takedown? And if you can share any of your experiences while you were at at Amazon, if that's still fairly relevant, that's great. But why do listings get taken down? They changed a few things after I left around this concept of product quality, item quality. So the number of investigations and listing takedowns around authenticity exams or uh, item condition complaints, item quality complaints or item condition complaints are the big thing right now. Are buyers complaining that they got something that's not what, what they paid for? 
not worth what they paid for, not the same quality they expected, not the way it was described on the detail page, any of those things, obviously condition. If you're buying something new and you get something that looks and feels and sounds used, you're, you're unhappy automatically. Um, so they're drilling down into those types of complaints. They are unfortunately just kind of copying and pasting things around. A buyer might not understand a product or they might not have read the product detail page closely but they still might blame the seller for, hey, you didn't represent this right on the site. Or this word of inauthentic gets thrown around. You know, items might be inauthentic. Well, that means the buyer probably didn't say that it was fake. Sometimes they say that too, but they probably just said it wasn't the quality they expected for the price, or it wasn't just the, wasn't the kind of item they expected. Those are the main reasons why ASINs are suspended and why they're asking for a plan of action. Um, Lesser known causes would be like expired, you know, expired products, expiration dates um, and um, compliance issues, which I know you and I've had conversations about compliance before. But if Amazon thinks you don't have the right documentation, whether it's FDA documentation or safety testing documentation um, to list and sell those products on the site, they err on the side of caution and remove those listings until you can prove otherwise. So. Yep, totally makes sense. So, so clearly, you know, if the condition is not the way you advertise, or if it's not the right quality, or people are thinking, "Man, I got ripped off. I, this was not worth mm -hmm. what I paid for it," then you're going to be in trouble. It seems though, you know, and I'm, I'm part of several e-commerce communities and forums, and of course, talk to a lot of sellers. We're all on the growth side, you know, the the ad side, the listing optimization side, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it also seems like there's some good sellers with good products that get get their listings taken down. Oh yeah, is that is that going to be on some of those lesser known things that you, that you mentioned? Yeah, either perceived compliance issues or, or when when do when do good products get and good sellers get impacted by this? I mean, they've they've had a lot of trouble separating good apples from bad apples, real problems from fake problems. So they're applying the same principles to all sellers, whether or not they match the situation. That's what's scary. If you want to talk about what's scaring me uh, and our clients, it's that people who don't really have that many buyer complaints about the products are sometimes being nudged by Amazon to send in an appeal, maybe not a plan of action, but just send us an invoice. We want to look at your supplier. Uh, we want to hear what you're doing for better due diligence, better quality control to make sure the product is sound. And, and that's really exactly scary. Uh, Amazon yeah. says, hey, send us your supplier. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's another thing. They're very interested in your supply chain documentation for a variety of cases, whether it's compliance, whether it's proving authenticity, or it's a buyer complaining that you didn't send them something new or you didn't send them something authentic. Amazon's very interested in letters of authorization and uh, invoices that they can accept. They've tightened the criteria around which invoices they can accept. So we have some clients that are their own brands making, you know, trademark registered brands. And they're wasting a lot of time trying to communicate to Amazon uh, that they are the brand, they are the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And the invoices shouldn't be rejected for non-verified because, uh, because of what? They tried to call some factory in China and nobody picked up the phone. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah. you shouldn't be spending a lot of time defending the authenticity of your products if you are your own brand. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so let's talk about prevention here. And we, we mm -hmm. talked about this when we were doing our, our prep call a few weeks ago that, mm -hmm. you know, the old adage, uh, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes the cure, we think the cure is just easier. I think in this case, we're all pretty scared and we want to make sure we are preventing. So what are some of the steps that good sellers need to take to prevent as best they can or mitigate or reduce the likelihood of a listing takedown. Right, so in terms of the compliance documentation, make sure you have it and have it ready to go. Um, some people contacted us when they got these alerts from Amazon. They didn't have any of the tests done. They had to find labs, things uh, like is that. There a good, is there a good resource, your site or somewhere where we uh, can quickly get the compliance? Well, you know what? That's one of the big problems in the space. I mean, I can say as a consultant that we haven't had um, solid, bona fide. I mean, I made a, a recent connection um, to Tyler Israel. I don't know if you know him. Uh, um, nope. but, but he is one of the people I met recently, but over the past few years, there wasn't a go-to person for this. Um, there wasn't a firm that was like, yeah, we do all sorts of compliance documentation and testing for all kinds of categories of items. That's what we've been missing. <laughs> it's not something I do. Um, we handle the appeals process. It's, just, it's the same as legal issues, right? I'm not a lawyer, but I handle the Amazon side of the process when, for legal reasons, a listing is taken down 
or an account is suspended, I handle the plan of action part of the appeals process. Same thing with compliance. You need a compliance expert who understands those types of things. And I had a conversation with Tyler, which was really good. Um, it's unfortunate that it took me a few years to find the right person, um, but documentation is essential. And make sure wherever you're sourcing it, whether you're this applies to any kind of seller, reseller, your own brand, you've got a supplier who answers the phone, describes their business relationship with you if they're called, doesn't act like they don't know who you are. Um, <laughs> they give you invoices that don't look like they were written with a crayon on the back of a newspaper. Um, really acceptable, clean, easy to read, because sometimes the appeals that we do for people are accepted, but then they'll uh, Amazon will reject it based on like the invoice, or they don't like the supplier, and they say, we looked at your supplier's website, it doesn't look like they make items like what you sell. And they'll reject it for that reason. So make sure the yeah, so make sure the supplier, I mean, essentially you have to prepare now and you can't just wing it because... Prepare thinking that a listing takedown yeah. is coming, right? I mean, that's kind of the way we have to think. Well, because it can be, an appeal can be rejected for like four or five reasons now. It used to be they just didn't like your plan of action. There was really one reason that they wouldn't take it. Now there's at least a few. So there's no point spending all your day, lots of energy and research and writing and rewriting a plan of action send in the appeal, and then they bounce it back because they're like, well, we did a Google search and we couldn't find your supplier anywhere, so we don't think they're verifiable and we can't accept this. Um, it's unfortunate that that happens, but like you said, some people don't take that seriously. They get one listing taken down and they kind of take their time getting it back. I don't know, I've seen a lot of sellers not acting with urgency unless it's their top-selling ASIN, but they don't understand. I mean, I understand account health and the, your risk score at Amazon is algorithmic, but they don't understand that if you have a few ASINs that have been suspended and you're taking your sweet time getting them reinstated, your risk score is suffering. And Account Health now has that dashboard, right? They finally made it kind of easy for you to eyeball it and say, hey, I'm in trouble. You know, In the old days, you were just looking at reams of pages of performance notifications, and you had no idea where you were, what your status was, right? So yeah, and so, so yeah. let's talk a little bit about that account health dashboard. Mm -hmm. uh, wh where should we really be paying attention? What are the numbers that maybe matter more than others? And when when should we start to get concerned as we're looking at that dashboard? Yeah, again, I mean, algorithmic. So what's what's a five for one seller is not the same as you know a one for you. You want zeros across the board. If you have a policy warning, you want to appeal that with all the. Uh, links to policy pages you've gone over and new procedures you put into place to make sure you're enforcing that policy internally. You want to appeal that sooner than later, but appeal it well, of course. They have item condition, product condition, item quality, or authenticity complaints. You want to get those resolved because Amazon doesn't want to believe you've got piles of inventory sitting in FBA that could easily, if left unresolved, result in many more complaints. That's a big part of what the appeal process is all about. Um, they want to make sure that you're taking measures now to prevent complaints later or bad buyer experiences later. Uh, and then beyond that, obviously, anything intellectual property related, received IP complaints, you want to follow up with those even if they look like BS <laughs> and follow up with the rights owner. It could be a so-called rights owner, but you want to message them, find out the nature of the complaint, what they want from you to resolve it. If it's not, from, if it's not a legitimate rights owner uh, complaint, then there are ways of disputing them. But... Um, there isn't a lot on the dashboard that I wouldn't take seriously, except for some restricted products messages and some like food and safety complaint messages go out to sellers just so Amazon can tell every seller selling that item, we don't want this item to be sold on the site anymore. That's really all they're saying. They're not expecting you to necessarily appeal it because it's not specific to you. They don't want products with that particular ingredient sold anymore. So they're just telling you all or they don't want products, you know, for whatever other safety reasons, other reasons. Um, there's a lot that goes into that decision, obviously product recalls, compliance issues, but the bottom line is they're telling everyone that they don't want that to be sold. It's not something you in particular are in trouble for. Cool. Yeah. So, so what, what other preventative steps can we take? So we gotta be watching our account health, we need proper documentation, we need to have a good relationship with our mm -hmm. manufacturer, and they need to be someone that 
yep. visible on on Google through Google Search or visible on on the web through Google Search, and they right. answer their phone and those things. What what else can we do to to hopefully prevent this from happening? And don't blindly ship products sight unseen from your manufacturer to FBA without having some samples at least sent to you, maybe a percentage of each batch or a percentage number of, of the units that you you know deal with monthly go to you so you can open them up and make sure that they're exactly as you described right. them on the site. Um, because some people, I think, get in the habit of not seeing product and it just ships to FBA. This is what Amazon's afraid of, that you're never seeing this stuff and yeah. that you're not, even, you're not even familiar with the item quality. So when buyers are complaining about it, if you go back to them, well, we have a vendor, we're drop shipping, we never see the stuff. I mean, I'm not saying you would phrase it that way, but if they get the impression... You can apply that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they get the impression that you're kind of handing the responsibility off to somebody else for quality control, for uh, you know, auditing, picking and packing processes, what the packaging itself is like, the likelihood the item's going to stay secure in the packaging and show up in FBA still in good shape, if they think you're outsourcing all of that or not paying attention to it, then they more or less believe that you're guaranteeing certain amounts of buyer complaints. So, gotcha. So then, so that's when if they get that impression, mm -hmm. they're much less likely to reinstate your listing or to, to resolve a... Yeah. And also, I've seen those appeals that sellers write for themselves. They tend to deflect blame like, well, yeah. this is our manufacturer. They have an agreement with us that they'll inspect product before it leaves the factory and they didn't do it. And there's lots of them. Sometimes people also rephrase it like, well, we hired the wrong employee and it was the employee's fault. And they're the one who was supposed to stay on top of it. And they're the ones who weren't doing it. So. And all that, and it really, I mean, if you think about this, like just leadership principles or, yeah. or, or the way it sounds is that to Amazon, to the policy team or to anybody that, that's, you know, thinking with a critical eye, mm -hmm. it just sounds like you don't know what you're doing. It sounds yeah. like managerial tight ship. Like taking ownership has to be a part of any appeal. You know, we failed to monitor our employees. We didn't manage this process appropriately. That's what root causes are in a plan of action. We could talk a whole other show about how to write a plan of action, but the bottom line is you have to show that you diagnose the problem from an owner or manager's perspective. Yeah. If yeah. you're just finger pointing, they honestly, they stop reading and they kick it away. Yeah, which makes sense because if Amazon truly wants to be the most customer-centric company on the planet, and I think I think they do, mm -hmm. uh, then you better have that mindset as well. And yeah. and that means you're taking care of the customer, not, well, not my fault. I can't be held responsible for this. Well, right. okay, then, then you're not going to be selling. On the a, lot of, a lot of sellers have been doing this with product reviews, abuse, suspensions. You know, well, we hired some marketing company. I don't know what they were doing. Uh, they said they followed the rules. Or, you know, we, we used a messaging sequence and... I showed it to somebody who says they know compliance at Amazon. They said it was okay. Um, it's like, you're the one who's in charge. The buck stops with you. So if you hired a service like that, Amazon blames you for not vetting them appropriately. You yep. can't blame the service. Um, so I'm sense. not sure why I'm reading. I, I still read these appeals where people are like, oh, you know, I'm not going to name companies right now. But, um, you know, uh, these guys said rebates were okay. We did 100% giveaways. We did all these... Yeah, it's like, well, you believed them. Whose fault is that that you believed what they were selling you? <laughs> it's like telling the officer, but my my neighbor said it was okay if I went 100 miles an hour right, on right. the street. Okay. Right, or my speedometer doesn't work. So yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. know how fast I was going, so that's okay, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it always works. That that line always works for sure. Don't try this with cops. Yeah, yeah, that's not yeah gonna work. for sure. So, okay, so that that's great. Um, super helpful. So then let's talk about suspensions, right? And I'm sure we'll circle back to some other mm -hmm. listing takedowns too. But um, uh, when do suspensions occur and what do we need to keep in mind there? So the easy short answer is watching your account health and you see a lot of crooked numbers. On, you know, they used to say about baseball, right? Crooked numbers on the scoreboard for like a high scoring game. Um, if you're looking at your account health and you're not seeing a lot of goose eggs, then there's a problem. Um, you're either not moving fast enough or you're not taking those indications seriously that there's an appeal that needs to be submitted. You're letting it fester over time if you accumulate more of those. Typically these days, they've got that visual display now. You go from green to yellow to red, right? Well, by red, you're probably already suspended. It's the people in the yellow range at risk. You have to figure out why you're still there. If you appeal something and they accept your appeal, but the numbers don't change on the dashboard, I mean, Amazon's tools are ancient. So sometimes the dashboard doesn't, I mean, not sometimes, often it doesn't update in real time. Got it. So, so, they may, so you may have uh, successfully won an appeal. Things yeah. are 
it's important in the right to say direction. That. You're maybe actually green, but it's still showing as yellow. That's that's common. Or you you should be at zero for product condition complaints yeah. because you successfully appealed them all, and it still says one, two, or three, or four, or something Got like it. that. It's because they haven't the visual display Numbers hasn't updated. Not updated yet. The important thing is you've got the notification saying yes, we've reinstated you to sell Ace and Blank. That's what matters because if they ever if you ever get in a call from Account Health which you were saying, what happens? How do these suspensions happen? These days, a lot of them, you get a call from Account Health that gives you 72 hours to write a plan of action to prevent a suspension. So at least then you're still you know, in the game and you can still appeal to prevent it from happening at all. But what are the Account Health guys looking at? They're looking at your dashboard. On that phone call, you would have to tell them, no, look again, we've successfully appealed a bunch of these. The yeah. numbers haven't updated. Maybe you didn't see that in our account annotations. Um, but they don't always just suspend you out of the blue anymore. Amazon had a lot of heat for that. So, well, you should always so be. You're saying there are more. There are more warnings now. There are more. Account health. That's 72 hours. Account health services, AHS for short, um, gives a lot of sellers a call, a heads up. You have 72 hours. Here are the problems in your account. We're calling to discuss them with you. Sometimes it's in writing. It's not a. It's not a call if they call you and you're not home or you don't pick up. Um, but. A lot of those, um, a lot of those, do turn into full account suspensions because the plan of action that the seller sends in isn't complete. A lot of those get rejected. So. Got it. So let, let's just play kind of you know nightmare scenario here, right. right? We get we get the dreaded call. It's AHS on the line, mm -hmm. right? You'd, you'd rather like talk to the IRS or somebody else, probably. Right. Same idea. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the AHS. You got seventy-two mm -hmm. hours. What do you do at that point, Chris? Uh, first, get whatever information from them while you have them, have them on the phone or if you have to call them back um, about the ASINs. What were the complaints on the ASINs? What were the, you know, we looked in voice of the customer. We looked in return comments. We looked in buyer messaging. We didn't see negative feedback for this ASIN. What are the complaints that flagged these on the Amazon side? You want to get that data. You want to get factual information from them. They also exist to help you write a plan. Coming and providing that information? Like, are they, are they trying to hide that from you? I mean, you? yes and no. It's hit or miss. A lot of these teams at Amazon, the training is very inconsistent. Um, the execution is very spotty. But I think that sellers that are savvy about this stuff can push them a little bit to give you the right kinds of information. And maybe that'll make up for some of the shortcomings on the Amazon side when it comes to sharing information. Right. So it's, ask good questions. You've got them on the phone. Yeah. Don't leave that phone call without getting all the info you need. Yeah, the reason we can debate whether or not this is a real reason, the reason they're cagey about it sometimes is because either they can't see it, they can't find it or see yeah. it themselves for their own chaotic reasons, or they are pushing you to go through voice of the customer that in talking to you, they don't think you've done any research, ASIN-level research in your account, and they think you don't know what's going on with hmm. buyer complaints or brand complaints. It depends what they're calling about. Um, complaints about those ASINs. They think you're behind the curve and that you need to do some catching up and they don't want to just set it all up on a platter for you. They want you to, to tell them in a plan of action what you could have done better, what operational deficiencies you failed to correct. So. Yeah, sure. So maybe as you're asking those questions, you're, you're phrasing it, not in a way that's defensive, but in a way right. that, hey, we take these problems very seriously. We want to get to the bottom of this. We want to make mm -hmm. sure our customers are taken care of. And, and rather than... Right. Yeah, get, getting combative and getting emotional and 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 uh, being defensive, you might not get as much cooperation exactly. at that point. And that's the root causes that I was talking about a moment ago. You have to nail the root causes, which causes are just what caused the complaints. They don't care about the causes. They already know the causes. And they probably know that you have a good idea what the causes of the complaints are. Root cause is where did this come from? Why did it happen? How did it happen? Why didn't you catch it? What was the failure that wasn't identified and rectified before there were buyer complaints? That's what root causes are all about. Your analysis of what went wrong, but in detail. Okay. And a lot of sellers miss that chunk, and then the root causes are generic or poor, and then the rest of the POA doesn't matter. Plan of action in terms of, yeah, sorry. No, so, so just to, just to, to clarify, yeah. so we, we have the phone call, we ask questions, we try to understand as much as we possibly can right. from the agent. And then from there, it's we're, we're, we're now seeing our job as get to the root cause, so the where, mm -hmm. why, how it happened, and how to exactly. fix it. So that's what you kind of map out from there? We're presuming that they gave you some info on the buyer complaints, the nature of them, maybe not how many there were, because they don't necessarily have to be a lot. But the, the nature of them, in theory, there were some consistent complaints about those products. Um, 
if you can't figure out what they're telling you in terms of what went wrong and you address the wrong root causes, then your POA is your plan of action is way off and it doesn't have a chance. So you're using them for information, not so much to coach you through the POA writing process. You can do that too, but that should be secondary to getting facts and data from them. Got it. Once you nail the root you causes, the plan of action to be way off yeah. base. If so, it's clearly going to be rejected. Well, because some people are just guessing because they say, "Well, there's nothing wrong with my products, and we haven't even had that many buyer complaints." And account health reps didn't really tell me anything. And I looked in voice of the customer, and I saw the usual scattered random stuff. And we took care of those buyers. What's the problem? One thing you definitely don't want to be is defensive, where you say nothing's wrong. What are you talking about? This is BS. Get away from me. <laughs> That's like rubber stamp denial, right? Yeah. Yep. We all have things we can improve. I have things I could improve in my due diligence on the consulting side. Every seller has something they could improve. Or, um, or maybe they just had a couple of you know, bad luck incidents where things were damaged in transit. Maybe it's a good opportunity to look at the quality of your packaging to see if items were properly secured inside or if they were just banged around and were defective from the damage. Um, if it's really just about the quality of the detail page content, your images, um, the written content on the page, I mean, there's loads of services out there that help you optimize by clarifying what the heck it is you're selling and making, you know, get, getting you better images, making the messaging very clear to any potential buyer that will reduce the likelihood of complaints on the other side. Amazon knows this. I know it. Brett, you're a smart guy. You know it. Um, but people who have manufactured their own products are sometimes missing the forest through the trees. They're a little bit too close to it. Right. They're more subjective than objective. Sometimes that's really what it's about. Buyers not understanding the description of the product and you have to amend the detail page and that's what needs to go into the plan of action. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where, hey, my, my baby's not ugly type yeah. of thing, or to use the Amazon <laughs> language uh, from their leadership principles, mm -hmm. my body odor doesn't stink, right? right. That's right. Like, leaders don't believe that, right, is right. an Amazon principle. So right. that, that totally makes sense. Now, how big of a problem is it? And, and it seems like this is maybe a growing problem where, mm -hmm. you know, just, just, just like we talked about earlier with review quality, right, people getting fake positive reviews and sometimes thousands of them and it just looks, it looks totally phony. Or what about a competitor saying, ah, I see your listing, it's having success. I'm going to bombard it with fake negative reviews. We have, we have a client that we just launched on Amazon, pretty big mm -hmm. brand. They uh, very successful off Amazon. We helped them advertising off Amazon as well. Mm -hmm. And they got a couple of just, you could tell it was folk, uh, fake yeah. results. It was like, oh, the product was way smaller than advertised and it ran out too quickly. And it and like, <laughs> there's no way they could have even used it all. And they meant like the listing hasn't even been up, you know, right. long enough for someone to consume all of this, right. this particular product. And so uh, how big of an issue is that? And is there any way to combat that? People that are just trying to sabotage your listing. Um, sabotage is rampant and omnipresent. So, I mean, how bad is it? It's gotten worse and it's become pervasive. It's become commonplace, unfortunately. The good news is there are better ways of combating it. Um, there are more places to report that. Uh, there are starter email cues that you can try, but and, and sometimes people get results from those, but often they don't, and they have to kick it upstairs and see if somebody manager level or VP level will do something about it. Um, the good news is, again, that there are VPs who are dedicated to reviews abuse yeah, yeah. and to this kind of bad behavior. I mean, again, their machine learning and their algorithms and their AI isn't quite up to snuff to just identify that stuff easily and delete it before any buyers see it. Um, often you have to report it, but a lot of systems work that way at Amazon. They're reactive, not proactive. It's yeah. reports-based. Got it. They don't get to it first. Now, one thing that I've heard in, is that sometimes it's hard to get a bad review taken down. And, mm -hmm. and I've also heard that you can see negatively if you complain about reviews too much or, or, or you make too many requests for, for negative reviews to be removed. Any, any insights on either of those? Um, I certainly wouldn't spam them, especially if you're just giving them conjecture and casual observation. Right. We think this is fishy. You know, They throw that away. They always have. Um, try to determine some patterns. Obviously, you can't just throw a bunch of data at them and expect them to say, yeah, you're right, the math checks out. These reviews are all fake. Um, they have to do their own investigation, but um, it's good to give them facts and data, and you know, this is entirely implausible. We can't show you exactly who the people are behind these buyer accounts. Um, I've worked with some sellers who were able to trace back some of these reviews to reviewers, 
and get the reviewers banned so that the you know when a reviewer is banned all the review all the reviews they left nice, are gone too nice so that's a good approach that people weren't doing last year or the year before but also sometimes they chase them back to a certain facebook group which the entire purpose of the group is just to fake reviews yeah or an entire company yeah, we'll, we'll pay. We'll pay you. We'll pay you for good reviews or bad reviews or whatever that whatever the case may be. Yeah, I mean, and some of that is just by doing some research on what your competitors are doing to fake the reviews. Sometimes it's it's as easy as buying from them, looking at their product insert, and following the link back to whatever group they created yeah, to help you get that, free product. Good, yeah, shop yeah. shop your competitors, which. You should be doing anyway, right? You yeah. should be looking at some of your competitors' products just to, to QA it and to get ideas and to, mm-hmm. to see how they're marketing. But yeah, follow their steps and, and see how they try to market to you to, to leave a review or whatnot and then try to catch them. Yeah, any, any other little insider tips like that that you can give related to, to any of this? So for reviews or for like brand abuse? Because what we're dealing with a lot is people have their listings taken down because a competitor... Um, Kind of hacked into their uh, yeah. brand registry. That's a big problem. Let's talk. Let's talk about brand abuse. Yeah, yeah. because it does just seem like. And obviously, Amazon's always been a bit of a jungle, and there's always been things that, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're kind of playing whack a mole with problems that come up. But this this sabotage from, un, un, you know, ruthless ruthless yeah. competitors is really popping up. So talk about the the brand defense there. Yeah. So a lot of backend keyword abuse is happening where people have their listings flagged because an, an illicit term showed up in their backend keywords, but they're not the ones who put it there. Somebody else inserted it there. How, how, um, is, that, how is that happening? Uh, somebody overrode their flat files with their own, synced up to the API, and overwrote that listing content, which if you're in brand registry, you would think that wouldn't be possible. Unfortunately, it's entirely possible. Interesting. And the secret's so, yeah, out so, on that. Just a quick kind of side note. I used to do a lot of SEO back in the early days of OMG Commerce. We were we were primarily SEO, and for a while there was some uh, negative SEO practices that would go on. Right where you mm-hmm. where you learn that oh, if somebody gets too many spammy backlinks, right? Google deindexes you or hurts that. Mm-hmm. Would cool. do that to your competitor, right? And so right. it was it was nasty for well, still is I guess similar um, concepts. Then Google had to create parameters to to not penalize you for that. Yeah, yeah. similar concepts. Yep, um, yep. And then there's just people who buy from their competition and say this is fake or yeah. this is unsafe just to try to trigger some right. Right. This, so it ran out. It's too small. Just like silly, silly things. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. But uh, but things are kind of turning a corner. Um, I hope they continue along. That I mean, two years ago there was no way to really troubleshoot this stuff. Um, I didn't offer any services about this two years ago because Amazon didn't seem interested. In the reviews abuse or the brand abuse, but now brand abuse is everywhere, and reviews abuse has continued to expand. So they had to do something, and they're starting to do things that are helpful. So that's a good sign. What that means for you, hopefully, is that you've got numerous places where you can communicate what's happening to you, so that somebody higher level don't open cases with support. Don't stay in the lower level range with this too long. That's just a big waste of your time. So, uh, so so opening. Support tickets are saying lower level support's not worth your time. Which Open one ticket so that you can reference a case number when you start complaining elsewhere that nothing's happened. That's it. Don't expect anything from support. Got um, it. Don't really expect anything from initiating a complaint about something in Seller Central. They've got mountains of those. Those just result in copy and paste responses that are very watered down, very murky, that have very little meaning. Um, Unfortunately, Amazon's still a marketplace where anecdotally things are escalated, and that's where the lion's share of correct work and proper review is done. So you've got you've got to escalate things before before any work really gets done, before right. any solution is found. Right. And there's, I mean, the good news, more good news. You know, we don't want people walking away afraid, exactly. <laughs> waiting yeah. for the next we'll, we'll night to sleep at night. Right. Well, and, uh, yeah. another. You, you mentioned the antitrust investigation um, and around that and other public stories have brought to light high-level management at Amazon, people that you'd find on LinkedIn that you'd know by name. Um, they might be somebody who doesn't respond to you personally if you email them, but they've got staff that they delegate to. Um, you know, their, their email might not be public, but maybe you can send them an email on uh, a message on LinkedIn. So these people are known. They're well-known. And, and you can find out what they trend. do. Now, now we're like, uh, yeah, big big time execs, uh, mm-hmm. leaders at companies are pretty well known. It's mm-hmm. quasi famous in some cases, and so that hopefully 
pushes yeah. them to take the right action. And if you testify in front of Congress, then people are automatically going to know your name and be interested in finding out how to reach you and show something to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this was great. So, I mean, in, in understanding that, you know, the the brand abuse and review abuse, that creates negative customer experiences as mm -hmm. well. So it has to be addressed. I'm happy to hear that Amazon is working to address it. A um, couple things I'm curious about from your perspective. One, uh, and I'm going to get the name wrong, but there, there's a there's a program where you you can have like a dedicated rep, for lack of a better term, from from Amazon, uh, like dedicated support person or, or whatever. Um, do you know the program I'm speaking of, and is that is that worthwhile? Um, I know the strategic account managers. That's it. Yes. Yeah, and then they call it SAS Core, but SAS, it's a, essentially strategic account management. Those are the people who have managers who are supposed to be helping them grow, helping them troubleshoot problems. Uh, sometimes they can help with abuse-related work. Um, sometimes they can help introduce you to a category manager. That's what we're spending a lot of time on now for people who are growing and growing, doubling and tripling every year in a category, but still haven't met or interacted with the person that manages the category. Yeah, yeah. Um, that can pay off um, with growth, you know, with your sales. So. Um, and just being in the know. I think we've gotten past the point where brands can just happily sell off in the corner and do their own thing and ignore everything that's going on around them. I don't think Amazon hosts that kind of marketplace anymore. Um, so I think you really have to just be with it on trends and what's going on and what competitors are doing to each other. Um, not being in the know can really hurt you. Yep. Yeah. So it, it is one of those classic scenarios of it's what you know, but it's also who you know. Mm -hmm. And knowing the right people at Amazon, or at least knowing how to get connected to the right person at the right time is, is mm -hmm. super critical. What advice would you give there on, on how do people stay in the know? Do they, do they uh, follow you at ecommercechris.com <laughs> and like get all your information? Or are there other podcasts or news sources or groups? Anything you'd recommend so that people stay in the know on, on these policy issues? Yeah, so I have my own podcast, Seller Performance Solutions. Um, we're covering a lot of how-to and a lot of hot topics on there. And also having some interesting guests for things that sellers might be interested in but might not impact their day-to-day -day so much, but shows the overall marketplace and how, how things are going. Um, also, yeah, e-commerce, Chris, I've got my blog on the website and I do quite a bit of, um, you know, videos there just uh, covering how to write a plan of action, what to do if you're stuck in the appeals process. I talk a lot about escalations and that's obviously because I used to work on the escalation teams, but, you know, that's the kind of strategy you need to be clued into. It's not just copy and paste. I think sellers that are out there using templates and generic content are falling way behind the times. That stuff doesn't work beyond maybe a single digit percentage of times. It's just not yeah. not a good use of your time. So Awesome. Well, I, I highly, highly recommend people go check out ecommercechris.com, get that information, you know, listen to the podcast, understand how to go through this appeals process and the escalation process and all of these things. Uh, any any other asks you have, Chris? Or or what if someone says, okay, this <laughs> sounds good. I'm 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 I feel more educated. I mm -hmm. feel like hopefully if I go check out some of these resources, I can sleep a little better tonight. Mm -hmm. or what if they just say, yeah, but I'd rather just work with Chris if I have an issue. What what is what does that look like? And and do you you know how do people get started in that process? Yeah, so I mean, I, again, e-commerce, Chris, my services page. We have a wide variety of levels of service and also different services on there. Cool. So some people just want me for an hour. They want to tune things up. They want to do it themselves. They just want some guidance, coaching, suggestions, and so forth. So I have one-hour consults. My calendar is open to the public. People that want to hire us, per se, to run the project, all work until they're reinstated. Those are flat fee project rates. It differs, of course, whether it's ASIN level or account level, um, but the concept is the same. You know, We manage your appeals process, and we write them up, go over it with you. Of course, there's quite a bit of interaction with our clients to make sure nothing's missed. Um, all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed because you want to reduce the likelihood of a denial of any appeal that you yeah, send in. Yeah. So. And, and we're easy to find. We're working most of the time. So <laughs> we're not... Uh, yourself and not just to make Bezos yeah. and team more... more yeah, we're, we're, we're you know, running a tight ship, but we're also around and reachable and communicative. So if you have a problem, we can at least give you a sense of what we think you need to do to fix it. Whether or not you have us fix it for you, we can figure out later. 
Um, but we understand it's a stressful, frustrating experience. We also understand that if Amazon ran a tighter ship, you wouldn't have yeah. the need to call me as much. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, it's a it's a tight spot to be in when you've invested that much in your business. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And 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 just as a quick plug, you know, we know a lot of people that have used Chris and team, and that that's why he's on the podcast because my Amazon team said you need to talk to Chris, and I uh, had several good rec- uh, referrals and recommendations. And so, uh, yeah, man, it's been really good. This has been really educational. Uh, I I feel better for our clients, and and we also invest in brands and, and other things. So I, I feel mm-hmm. I feel better knowing this information, better knowing you as well. So, uh, Chris, man, really appreciate the time. This has been super helpful. I'll link to everything in the show notes, maybe some of those specific resources as well. But go to ecommercechris.com, and then links to the podcast are on uh, at ecommercechris.com. Yeah, well. sellerperformancesolutions.com if they want to go there. But yeah, okay. cool. Yeah. All right, Chris. Awesome stuff, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And as always, thank you for tuning in. I hope this has been helpful and instructive. And hey, here is my ask for you. If you know someone that this podcast would be useful for, share it with them, right? We'd love to to grow our audience. This is really just so we can connect with the community and so I can meet smart people like Chris and and also want to hear from you. What else would you like us to cover on the podcast? Any guest suggestions or anything like that? And connect with us on the socials. I would love to chat with you there. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.